0: Let me pray. Well, God, we pray as we come to your word that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word, that you would um, train us in righteousness and teach us, that all your scripture is breathed out by you and is useful for us. And so I just pray that uh, this morning as we come to your word and we um, consider the thoughts of, of this narrative, which maybe is so familiar, we uh, neglect the details we're going to neglect some things about it i just pray that um, it would not be so familiar we don't hear you this morning and so we just pray that you would speak and we would listen we pray in christ's name amen I invite you to turn your bibles to luke chapter 2 luke 2 and verse 8 is the section i'll be reading this morning Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. This is where the shepherds are told of the birth of Christ. He has been announced. Here it is in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. This is God's word. It says, In the same region where the shepherds were out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels sang. The angels sang, a multitude of angels sang. There, at the very end, it says, uh, suddenly there was this uh, multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, singing glory to God in the highest. We sing a carol or a hymn at Christmas. Hark, the herald angels sing. The angels sing. What did they sing? Glory. Glory to the newborn king. It's an incredible Christmas hymn that we sing, packed with so much truth. And, and the main theme of, the hymn, uh, of that hymn, you may think, is the angels or singing or praise. But it's not. The main theme of Hark the Herald Angels sing is the incarnation of Christ. Is the fact that he was indeed both God, but yet born as a baby. It's the main theme of that Christmas hymn. There's one about the, the angels singing, which we see here in Luke chapter 2, the angels singing about the glory of what? A baby. The glory of a, a king who was just born. This is what the angels sung about. In this Christmas hammock, it, it goes like this. You know it. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations raise Adjoin the triumph in the skies. With angelic host proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And so even in its opening stanza, this opening verse, it mentions the birth, the being born of this king, Christ specifically, who was born in Bethlehem. It gives the location, which is the fulfillment of Micah 5.2. It was known that Christ, the Messiah was to come to be born in Bethlehem. And it was true when these angels came to the shepherds who were terrified, as the glory shone around them, a bright light of sorts, and they said, we have an announcement for you. We're bringing good news of great joy that will be not just for you, O shepherds, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the people. All the people, no matter their... A family heritage. This is good news of great joy for all of them. And they said, this is Christ, the Lord. This is he, the one that you've been waiting for. Come and see him. You're going to go and find this sign. It's incredible because the angel assumes that the shepherds are just going to get up and go. They're going to obey. They're going to follow. They're going to try to find this Christ child. It says, there'll be a sign. You're going to go and you're going to find a baby. It's going to be in a manger. Go find this. And, and then at that moment, when the angel had delivered this uh, good news of great joy that the Christ has arrived, a multitude of angels appeared to sing glory, glory, adoration, attention, admiration, glory to God in the highest, The God who made the stars and the heavens. The God who made the ants and the sea. Glory to him. Admire him because of this moment. Because he has come. He has come. He has stooped down into the form of a baby. He's here. And and the angels didn't say... Wow, let's just step back and see what's going to happen. This is probably not going to be good. A baby's weak. We hope this works out. No, instead it was an announcement of good news. Because what God had planned through the incarnation was going to succeed. That he would come for his people. He would be a high priest to his people. And they would be recipients of great joy. All the people. For him, he could be the Savior. The Christ. Who is Lord. So they sang this song. The glory song. And so in, in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says glory to the newborn king. In, in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. It speaks of the Messiah to come. Which is incredible. Because you would think. If, if you're expecting it. A big. A savior. From. They were expecting it from the. The. Uh, Harsh kingdoms, the people who hated God, the people in, in power. And so you expect an equal power source to come, if not well, most certainly greater. And here comes a baby, yet a king. But in Isaiah chapter 9, speaking about the Messiah that was to come, it speaks specifically of a child. It says, Isaiah 9 6, for a child will be born, a son. Given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a child to be born, and he will be called Mighty God. It was always anticipated this way that this child, a boy, would come in the the line of David. And he would himself would be the mighty God, one with the everlasting Father. It was anticipated long before Christ had come. In Hebrews one verse six, when it's recalling Christ's appearing, it says again, Hebrews one six. He brings his firstborn into the world. He says, and let all of God's angels worship him. Let all of God's angels. Worship him. And that's exactly what they did here in Luke chapter 2. It wasn't just one angel who was excited about this news that he got to deliver, but instead a multitude came. Thousands upon thousands, roaring voices, singing glory to God in the highest. God has done a great thing. There is good news that has arrived. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to this newborn king. It's incredible because the second verse of that hymn that we sing is Christ by highest heaven adored. All the highest heavenly beings adored him. Even as a a babe. Because he was, the second line says, Christ the everlasting Lord. He was everlasting to everlasting He wasn't just born. He did not come into existence that day when the angel announced Him. That wasn't when He started. That wasn't when He began. He was the everlasting Lord. He never had a beginning and He will have no end. He is everlasting. So the incarnation for us and for our human brains boggles us. Because He was born to us. Born is a start. But for him, it was just the start of something. Not his life. Christ had everlasting life. He was the everlasting Lord. In this second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it carries on with good truth and it says, He's Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Thinking about how long they had anticipated this Messiah. How long. So it says, late in time, behold, he finally came. But he was, it says... Offspring of the virgin's womb. He was veiled in flesh. The Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased uh, with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. And we know what Emmanuel means. God with us. Those things in that verse just unpack the incarnation of Christ. Really well. First, it says he's the offspring of the virgin's womb, which is again fulfillment of a prophecy. The Messiah who was to come was to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The offspring of the virgin's womb. Offspring. He was a child. He's related to Mary. He has Mary's DNA. He was human. Human. He wasn't just some mystical being. Some weird mix-up of, is this real? He was human. He was the offspring of Mary's virgin womb. And it goes on to say that he was veiled in flesh. The Godhead, see? You can see the Godhead in Christ. He was veiled in flesh. Jesus, who he was, remember the eternal, existing, everlasting Lord, was now just veiled in flesh. Just like you and me, who we really are is not our skin and our bones. We are who we are, and we will live on forever. When your body fades and dies, you live. You, who you are, lives. But Christ was preexistent. He pre-existed his flesh. And so he now is veiled in flesh. But in him, you can see the Godhead. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See? Look. Look at him. You can see the fullness of God. The God who is three in one. One God. Three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit united in every way You see in Christ. That's why in 2 Corinthians it tells us that the work of the devil is to veil the eyes of unbelievers. To stop us from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To stop us from seeing Jesus. Yes, in the flesh. Yes, in his righteousness. Yes, in his dying on the cross and his resurrected body. Satan doesn't want people to see that and to know that that is true and real and historical and factual. Because in the flesh, the Godhead is seen. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. What's the glory? Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 14, famously says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my father. From now on, you do know him. And you have seen him. Jesus himself says, you have seen the father. You've seen him. He carries on because Philip carries on. He says, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip. He says whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe, listen, that I and the father are One? That I am in the Father and the Father is in me, is what he says. We are one. We are the same. He says, how can you say, show me the Father? I am the same. I am he, the Godhead. See? He says, don't you realize that I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me and who it is his works. We are one. There is no distinction between God's purpose and God's heart and who I am. I am God. This is what Jesus declares, yet veiled in flesh, truly flesh. So in Christ, in, in who he was as a person, as a man, as a righteous man, and the way he dealt with people, what he was concerned most about is preaching the gospel, caring for the lowly. It's God's heart exposed. The Godhead, see him, see what he's like. He is right and just and loving and compassionate and merciful. See him, all of him, in Christ. That's why people are so hesitant about Jesus. That's why people try to disprove Jesus' historicity. Like there's no way that man could have actually walked this planet. No way. If it's true, then you must believe you have no other choice. Like Lee Strobel, right? This guy who tried to disprove the whole resurrection of Jesus and that whole account in his whole discovery of so much evidence. He said, I have but one choice but to believe. One choice but to believe. When you see Christ, when you truly see him with eyes wide open and a heart wide open, you see him in faith, you see God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. The next line says, hail the incarnate deity. He, 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 the deity, the God, has now been incarnate. He has come and he is uh, in, in a new creation, in a new sense of, uh, of a being, the flesh. But Christ is God and man. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 17, it says, Jesus, when speaking to the disciples, says, he's asked them, who do people say that I am? Right? And they go on and they say a few things and then he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter seeing Christ in front of him, seeing this man who, who slept and ate and would bleed, yet he saw him as the son of the living God, that this was the deity in my, in my presence, incarnate, in flesh. And Jesus says to him, he says, you know what, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You're not convinced of that because you have seen that, you know, Um, I'm really strong or I'm beautiful. That did not reveal that to you, but, but God revealed it to you. And you believe that in faith, that that I am God standing before you. It was revealed to you from heaven, not from what you have seen with your own eyes. Blessed are you. You are filled with joy and happiness because you have believed that is true. Uh, John MacArthur says, You know, we tend to focus our attention at Christmas on the infancy of Christ. The greater truth of the holiday is his deity. More astonishing than a baby in a manger is the truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. God, hail the incarnate deity. This, This baby, what about a baby? He is God. He is the creator. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, everlasting. And yet, here he is. The incarnate deity. Hail him, the song says. Hail him. Worship him. Bow down to him. Give him the honor due him. Not because he's a a baby, and that's the the beauty of the story, but because he is God. God. And he is able to do all things well. You know, the idea of a deity is, is taken up in a lot of other world religions too. And mostly when they're looking for a, something that is a deity, they're looking for what power does it have or what power does it give. There's the sun god and the, the water god and the rain god and whatever else. And those are deities. And people will hail them for their power in that area. Well, here this song reminds us exactly what the angels reminded uh, the angel reminded the shepherd is. This is Christ the Lord. He has come. This is Him, the one who created the stars you are sleeping under, the one who has created the air and the breath in your lungs, the one who sustains your lungs. It is He. Hail Him, not because He's a baby of any special family. Hail Him because He is powerful. He, he is deity. Hail the incarnate deity. The next line in the song says, Pleased with, uh, with us in flesh to dwell. He was pleased to come and dwell in flesh. Which is amazing. He had the glories of heaven. No sin. No sadness. Nothing wrong in heaven, in the heavenly realms. Perfect unity in the Trinity. Friendship. Love. Yet he was pleased to dwell with us. Colossians chapter two says, "For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in Christ uh, you have been brought to fullness. In the flesh he dwells, pleased with us." And then it says in this last line of that uh, verse, "Jesus, our Emmanuel," which we know in Matthew one twenty three when they're giving him, you shall call him Emmanuel because it means God with us. Philippians 2, a well-known passage, says you must have the same attitude that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as a thing to be grasped or to cling to. He set aside the glories of heaven pleased to dwell with us knowing exactly the result of that. Knowing that he could be one with you. He could be your high priest, my high priest. That he would stand on our behalf as a perfect representation of you and me before God. Think of the old sacrificial system that God had, uh, had made. That these priests would come and they would offer a sacrifice to God for the sins of the people and themselves. Well, Christ has now come to stand as that priest, to offer to God for the sins of the people, but yet he didn't need to make a sacrifice for himself, because he was without sin. Hebrews tells us about Jesus as high priest. Hebrews 4 says this, Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest Unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was human. He was like us in every way. Yet he didn't sin. He fought to temptation. And he won every time. So he was tempted as we are. Don't think that he escaped temptation. We know that he was tempted. The devil taunted him. We've, we read that in the Gospels. But he was without sin. This was the great high priest who passed through the heavens to come to us, to be with us, to stand on our behalf offering this sacrifice, the Lamb. Well, he was the Lamb who was slain. This is God with us. The last verse of Hark the herald angels sing, shows us the necessity of his birth. The necessity. When the angels sang to those shepherds, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Peace. There was hostility on earth. Not just horizontally between people and and, and nations and family members. We know that there's still not peace on earth that way. How is there peace on earth at the coming of Christ? There's peace between God and man. The hostility between God and man. Us pushing back. Us pushing our boundaries. Us fighting him in every regard. There's not peace. There was war. we were hostile to God. Rebels to God. So Christ, when this angel announces glory to God in the highest and peace on earth... He was born so that we may have peace. The last verse of that hymn says, uh, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of righteousness, light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by, which is what I just read in Philippians. He did not count a quality of God a thing to be clung on to. He lays His glory by, Born that we no more may die. Born that we no more may die. We don't have to die anymore. What does that mean? Of course we will die in the flesh. Unless Christ comes first, we will face the grave. Born that we may no, no more may die. What does it mean? Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook in the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And he would deliver all of those who through fear of death were subjects to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. He stood on our behalf to take away the power of death that it had on us. In Hebrews, it describes it as lifelong slavery, that that not just the fear of the process of dying, but the fear of death, the sting that it has, The condemnation that it brings, the finality of it is, and when you die, there is no more hope for you. People might believe in this life that they have hope today in something, in some system, some religion. But that all is gone the moment you die. It's lifelong slavery to try to always find the hope, to try to always live like you have hope. Well, Christ came to do away with that slavery by delivering us from that, that bondage, the power of death, the condemnation, it's no longer there. The enemy has nothing on us because death ultimately, the wages of sin is death, not just in the body, but eternally separated from God. Death, dying. There is power in that. It terrifies us until you know Christ that there is more power in the resurrection, that there is more power. In his life, and the new life he gives us. Life eternal, life that is not physical. Life immortal. He gives us new life. It says, it says in that last line, in the last verse, born that we no more may die. We, don't, we will live. We will live eternally with God if we know Christ. As we live with him. The next line says, born to raise us from the earth. If in Christ you have been raised, you will one day receive uh, the full uh, salvation. Scripture describes it sometimes as the, the final salvation. How our bodies are longing in Romans, bodies are longing and eagerly awaiting for the redemption of our bodies. You will one day be risen too. The dead in Christ will rise first. We will raise from the earth, and last, born to give us second birth. Second birth. Our first birth brings us into this life that is full of calamity, trial, struggles, tribulations, sin, sadness. He was born, born, so that we may have a second birth. The only way we could ever have a second birth... To be a new creation, to have a newness of our life, to have a purpose, to have a joy, to have something far beyond the circumstance, was because he was born. Because he came. To be like you. To be for you. To stand on your behalf. So that you may be free. That you may have this second birth. So, hark the herald angels sing. Glory. Glory, he, he deserves all of our admiration, all of our affection, glory to this newborn king. He was born and this shocking reality. When you think of all that God is and all that he's powerful to do, and yet he came. That's what ought to shock us at this Christmas season. Not get wrapped up in the beauty of a, of a, a virgin and, and the, you know, the, the stable, But the power that was there. The power in Christ who was born. The angel, the multitude of angels sang it. Glory to him. Glory. Admire him. Look at him and be awestruck. Be speechless. Glory to God in the highest. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to this newborn king. May we be ones who are amazed by the incarnation, shocked by it, at the same time left awestruck. In this hymn, there is an invitation in the very first verse for us Joyful, all ye nations, rise. Join the triumph in the skies. What triumph? The triumph we just read in Luke. The triumph of the multitude of angels who said, Glory to God in the highest. This is it. There's a triumph song. Glory. This is God in the highest. Join that triumph in the skies. With angelic host, proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Let's pray. God, you are far beyond our comprehension. You are holy and all-powerful and all-knowing, and everlasting. Yet, Christ has come. Christ has come. And it amazes us that, that all the power that there has ever been and ever will be came. He was born. He took on flesh to dwell among us so that we would never die, so that we could live with you, so that we could be raised again as he was raised. So that we would um, have hope because we are born again. Thank you that Christ has come and accomplished all of it, so that those of us who would place our faith in Him, those of us who have not uh, neglected Christ, but instead seen Him as the Godhead, that we believe, all that He says He is, we believe all that He has accomplished for us in faith, and we trust that it was enough. Help us to believe. Help us to worship. Help us to give you all the glory you so rightly deserve. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.